All right, welcome back, everybody, to episode three of the third season of the Building Like My Athletes podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Renke. Thanks so much for dropping by today. I really appreciate it. Today, we're talking all about chondrotoxicity and injections and what's involved in that. And so the first question you might ask is, well, what the heck does chondrotoxicity mean? Well, chondro is the root word of cartilage, and toxic is something harmful. So we're talking about things that are harmful to the cartilage. So we care about this so much because the loss of cartilage or damage to the cartilage cells is a hallmark of osteoarthritis. And if we have progression of that, then we ought to have, have lots of morbidity mortality, pain, potentially, and lots of issues down the line. And so we care about how can we preserve the cartilage inside of our joints? Obviously, it seems like a very intuitive thing. Like, yeah, we want cartilage, and that is very true. But the question is, are we doing damage to the joints when we're doing certain injections? And that's where we're going to talk more about that today. So we want to make sure that when we're injecting something, it isn't doing more harm than good. So let's talk about it a little more here. The first question is, how did we get here? Where, well, there's kind of like a landmark study where they showed repeated steroid injections when compared to saline injections, so a greater amount of cartilage loss. And so people saw that and got us thinking, well, what's causing this progression? Is it kind of like a chicken or an egg type situation, right? Like, is it, you know, did the steroid injections cause the worsening of arthritis or is that just the natural course of arthritis? Not really sure. And so the question is that we saw this, that these people who got steroid injections, they were doing worse and had increased cartilage loss when compared to the people who got the saline injections. And so that kind of got us thinking like, huh, are we doing more harm than good when we do these injections? You know, is there something going on? Is there worsening of it because of the steroid, because of the lidocaine, who knows what? And so that's kind of like got, got the ball rolling in terms of thinking, hey, there might be something to this that we need to look into. And so the first question is, I want to ask is like, what, what substances are chondrotoxic, right? Like Jordan, we just talked all about these different injections. What's chondrotoxic? Well, the bad news is that quite a few things seem to be chondrotoxic. And so, but the good news is not everything seems to be chondrotoxic. So we have lots of stuff, but first, before we go on and specifically talk about what the findings were, I kind of want to talk about the data we have for this. So what were the kind of experimental designs we did to find this information? So we have a couple, a couple different experimental studies and usually they're involving patients either looking at serial MRIs or x-rays. And so a lot of times, you know, what they're doing is they're seeing these patients are getting these injections and doing repeat MRIs or x-rays. So some sort of imaging to see, Hey, is there a difference in the joint space? And obviously that's pretty subjective because one radiologist reads this another radiologist reads that kind of subjective, but that's one base of literature, like one body of literature saying, Hey, that's how we can use one measurement to say, Hey, is there something going on with these injections? However, most of the studies that we look here are kind of bench studies, meaning in the lab, looking at chondrocytes in vitro. So like looking at the cartilage cells in the microscope and kind of saying, Hey, what's going on. Typically we have a Petri dish setup, So we have some sort of fancy setup that like actually simulates a human joint. There's like moving fluid and pipettes and all this stuff going on and the right buffer and solution. And it's well beyond my knowledge. It's like I said, it's it's a chemistry experiment and they kind of then bathe the medications that they're using in these experiments in this cartilage in this you know joint simulation and so what they do is they kind of get, get that going there they kind of bathe in there and they kind of assess over time you know what's going on they look at different things like markers of proliferation of the chondrocytes cell deaths so deaths of the chondrocytes other biological markers they use these fancy kind of markers and tracings and and tactics to kind of look at hey what's the overall health looking like in there and so like i said this is where the data is coming from a lot of it is from kind of these you know quote unquote petri dish studies and so obviously when we have a petri dish study it's very helpful to understand mechanistically what's going on and so that's kind of like our basis the underlying physiology but then we also have these potential radiology ones looking at the decreasing size of the 
um, joint space on x-ray or MRI. And so we kind of use them both together to kind of figure out, hey, is there a trend going on? But you're, you're not going to find any RCTs in this literature at all. So I just want to let you know, if you're looking for RCTs, this is not going to be the podcast for you. But we're going to talk all about, about different substances now. And so first, let's talk about steroids. Steroids are definitely not on the nice list in terms of chondrotoxicity. They're, they're, they're not the best, that's for sure. You know, there's some ambiguity, some data shows that maybe steroids aren't that bad in terms of for chondrotoxicity, but the majority of the studies seem to show that there is some sort of damage that happens when we use steroids. So most of these studies show some chondrotoxicity. And in terms of what steroids are the worst, it's not entirely clear, but a couple of papers I read indicate beta-methasone might be the worst. And so that one, there's a specific substance in the beta-methasone, like the kind of the way they make it additive to kind of make the whole solution of it. It actually might be that ingredient that causes it. But either way in the studies, it looks like beta-methasone was the worst when they kind of compared it to other ones like triamcinolone or dexamethasone. And so like I said, in my general practice, I think I would consider using either triamcinolone or dexamethasone first. And I would probably not use beta-methasone because some of the studies is pretty, is pretty significant how much worse the beta-methasone did in terms of cartilage health. But like I said, all of them show chondrotoxicity. So when you inject a steroid, you know, bathe the chondrocytes in that, it does seem to be chondrotoxic. But if we had to pick one, don't use beta-methasone using probably something else like a dexameth or dexamethasone or triamcinolone. And then moving on to NSAIDs, so things like we talked about Ketorolac before, right? So a different anti-inflammatory medication, but a different from steroids, so non-steroidal. This is a little bit more touchy. There's a little bit more mixed data on this, whether or not NSAIDs like Ketorolac are chondrotoxic at all. It seems to be a dose-dependent response with these NSAIDs, meaning that the higher the dose you go, the worse you go. And that's pretty consistent with like everything we'll see here, whether that's steroids or analgesics, whatever. The higher the dose, the more you know problems you typically have. So that being said, though, these NSAIDs, overall, the literature doesn't seem to be as obvious as the steroids. The steroids are like, yep, probably not good for your joint. Whereas NSAIDs are like, ah, maybe, maybe, I'm not sure. And so they may not be the safest thing ever, but I think they're a potentially less bad option. So if I had to pick a diagnostic injection, I'll typically do this due to the theoretical better risk profile of it. So what I mean by that is, let's say I have someone who I'm not sure where their pain might be coming from in terms of I'm trying to, hey, I'm trying to figure out, is there a mechanical source of pain. Obviously, we know pain is much more complicated than just biomedical model, like, hey, this is where your pain is. But that being said, sometimes we can have some issues inside of a joint or something. And so I do a diagnostic injection. What I'll typically do then is try to use some sort of NSAID. So usually Ketorolac is what it is. And I use that and I'll talk about which you know analgesic I'll choose. But I try to do this over steroid. Like I said, for me, this is potentially doing less harm. Like I said, it's not a slam dunk that there's no chondrotoxicity with these medications. You know, there's probably a little bit, but it does seem to have a better profile than the steroids. So for me, it's like picking a less bad option. And like I said, I'm really, really all about trying to have joint preserving injections. You know, there's no point of accelerating arthritis or accelerating chondrocyte degradation if I don't have to do that. And so like I said, if I had to pick one, I'd probably choose this for a trial run just because theoretically is better. Although I will say subjectively, uh, I do get better results usually with steroids just because, like I said, they're really, really strong and it's like dropping a grenade in there and usually takes care of it. But that being said, that's my general approach to things. Next, we move on to hyaluronic acid. This one actually seems to be not so bad. So this is that kind of, you know, visco supplementation injection we talked about. So kind of the lubrication injection. It seems to be pretty solid. Multiple studies have used hyaluronic acid with something else, like either a steroid or an NSAID. It actually seems to lessen the chondrotoxicity of those other substances. So if you mixed an NSAID with hyaluronic acid, it seemed to decrease chondrotoxicity. Same thing with steroid. Mix the steroid with hyaluronic acid. Don't seem to have as bad of an effect with the steroid. So that's actually something that's pretty cool and something to consider. And so overall, I think this is a solid choice. 
and I feel pretty good about this. If I'm doing this in a younger patient or someone I want to preserve their cartilage, like it's a really high, high priority, this is a medication I'll turn to. The problem is for me is it's kind of random when it'll work. I don't have a good prediction for when it's going to work for someone. And so I use it with a grain of salt, but I still think it can be very helpful at times. Then we're going to move on to prolotherapy. So like I said, prolotherapy, typically, and this one we're talking specifically about dextrose prolotherapy, so that sugar water. This seems to be another safe injection. You know, it's just essentially sugar water. And there's some data in vitro that actually may, it might actually slightly increase proliferation of the chondrocytes. So it might actually increase the growth and reproduction of the chondrocytes, which is kind of cool. Like I said, I'm not injecting this thinking that we're going to regrow chondrocytes. Like I don't think that's the case, but it doesn't seem to be a degradation then. So I think this is a good thing. You know, like I said, the problem with this is this doesn't make a good diagnostic injection just because usually when I inject people with this, it actually like flares things up a little bit and makes them feel worse. Cause like I said, remember we had the anti-inflammatory injections with the steroids and the NSAIDs. And now we have the pro-inflammatory injections here with the prolotherapy and the PRP whatnot. So we're kind of bringing in inflammation. So people aren't going to feel good. And so like from a diagnostic perspective, like, Hey, does it make you feel better? It's like, well, no, I hurt more. And maybe down the line it does. And it does seem to improve a lot of different conditions a little later, but it's not as reliable from that perspective. And so like I said, definitely a viable option to do can be a good option. If we're looking for, you know, a broad horizon, meaning we got some time for this, but if I'm looking for really, really, really short term, this is probably not ideal. But once again, I do feel like this is pretty safe for the chondrocytes. And so I feel like it's a viable option. It's on the table. Next, let's talk about PRP. And this is another one that seems to be pretty safe. When we inject this, there does not seem to be a lot of chondrotoxicity. You know, so it also may produce slight proliferation, just like we talked about prolotherapy, but overall just appears to be not very chondrotoxic. And so for us, that's kind of the big thing, you know, which kind of makes sense, right? So the anti-inflammatory group, if you think about it, we're just trying to calm things down and squash things. And so it makes sense that we're probably going to harm something along the way. Whereas we have kind of the, I think about neutral, um, hyaluronic acid, which is kind of like given maybe some substrate to kind of help the you know, the joint situation going on there. And then we have the proliferative therapy or the regenerative med with pro and PRP kind of not causing degradation, but maybe even adding some proliferation. So that's kind of how it works. And that seems to be what the data shows. But before we end there, I also want to talk about our local anesthetics. So local anesthetics, this is the things like lidocaine, right? Lidocaine, bupivacaine, ropivacaine, all these local anesthetics, things that you can inject and then um, have some, some decreased sensitivity. So that's kind of the goal. But almost all of these appear to be chondrotoxic is what it comes down to, which is unfortunate. And then if you think about it, what our normal cocktail of injections are, are some sort of steroid and lidocaine or some sort of analgesics. Like we're really having a double whammy. And so that's like something that's been really practice changing for me is kind of just questioning thinking, Hey, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I injecting steroid with lidocaine when both of those by themselves seem to be chondrotoxic, add them together. It's a double whammy. It's kind of been practice changing for me to think about, Hmm, do I need to do that? Do I just do that because it's standard of care or do I do that because there's a good mechanistic reason behind it? And that's kind of what I'm thinking about. And on top of this, you know, we know it's chondrotoxic, but it also seems to be time and dose dependent time, meaning the longer it's around in the joint environment, the worse it does. And the higher the dose, the worse it is as well, which kind of makes sense. If you're doing, you know, 2%, as opposed to 1% lidocaine, you're going to have a more chondrotoxic effects. It seems like, and they've kind of compared these and said, Hey, which one seems to be the worst? Well, in terms of the least chondrotoxic, it seems like ropivacaine is the least chondrotoxic. You're looking at the AMSSM, the kind of regenerative medicine talk. They said this seems to be the one most people are going with when, like I said, we're trying to be conscious about the chondrocytes and the cartilage inside the joint. So ropivacaine, the least chondrotoxic, and then it moves on to ropivacaine and then lidocaine. So once again, lidocaine is kind of down the list. Very, very common, very cheap. So a lot of people do this. Um, but like I said, when I'm putting this into practice, what we want to do is we want to do the least amount of damage to a patient, right? And so I think we should take this idea and consider 
consideration when making a choice. So like I said, if we have to do some sort of steroid injection, we're stepping back. If I have to pick a steroid and I have to pick some sort of analgesic, I'd probably do something like triamcinolone and ropivacaine, right? The last thing we want to do is add on the, the higher ones because like I said, as we add more and more saxobetamethasone and lidocaine would probably not be a great combination, but something like triamcinolone, maybe dexamethasone and ropivacaine would be probably my choice if we have to do a steroid injection. However, if we do not have to do a steroid injection, then I'd probably try something like ketorolac or the toradol and ropivacaine, meaning like I said, the least chondrotoxic or the least bad things that I can think about. At the end of the day, if you don't absolutely need to do a diagnostic injection, can also consider using some sort of normal saline as the anesthetic. So what I mean diagnostic is sometimes initially you want to know right away, hey, did this injection work? And if you have that lidocaine or bupivacaine or pivacaine or whatever you have you, if you inject that and that area seems to be the problem, you might get some improvement right away. Say, oh, like, hey, this AC joint feels way better after that lidocaine. That might be some of my issue causing my pain. So if you're using a diagnostic purpose, that's what you're using the local analgesic for, is you're saying, hey, I wanna see if I can get that right away. If you don't need that, then the question is, do we even need to use some sort of analgesic or can we use normal saline? Like I said, the injections of normal saline don't seem to be chondrotoxic, and so that's something to consider about, maybe using that instead of our anesthetic. Like I said, overall, I feel pretty good about hyaluronic acid, dextrose prolotherapy, and PRP. And so those are the ones I'm always considering and kind of thinking, hey, how can I do this? Like I said, there is a time and place for a injection of Toradol or an injection of steroid. I think, like I said, it's definitely part of my practice still, and I think about it, I, a lot of times I use those not necessarily in joints, but like I said, it's still going to happen. That's that's definitely the way it goes in sports medicine. You know, we're trying to always treat a patient, right? So we never treat someone based off of a study. We talk to the patient, see what their needs are, what their benefits are, what their desires are, and kind of work together as a team to kind of figure that out. So once again, everything is always unique, always individualized. It's never one thing. But I, I think this is something to think about. When you're doing an injection, you kind of think, hey, how can I do the least amount of damage to this patient? And I want to do the most amount of good for them and the least amount of bad. And so like I said, it's something that's kind of been interesting and as I've been learning more about, you know, the, the way we kind of do things in sports medicine a lot of times is kind of passed down, right? Like I learned this from my mentor, learned this from their mentor. You look at some of the data, some people were injecting 10 cc's of lidocaine at some point, you know, in some studies, whereas, you know, the question is why do we inject the volumes that we do? And kind of looked into it and it seems like it's a lot of just institutional knowledge saying, hey, this is how I was trained and this is what I did and it's not as data-driven. And so I'm kind of trying to move and, and have a call say, hey, can we as sports med physicians and practitioners, can we do better? Is there a reason that we're doing the things we're doing and, or you know, are we just doing it because that's the way we've been taught? And so I'd like to challenge everybody who's doing this, you know, said, please let me know if I'm missing something, uh, if you disagree, if you are also on board with this saying, hey, yeah, that makes sense. I've looked into it and, and, and that's what I know as well. And so like I said, it's kind of been practice changing for me. I'm trying to think about how I can change my practice using this information, but that's enough for today. I think it's a short and sweet one, but it's, uh, I think, really important. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I do have a newsletter that's going. If you want to get some basic research review each week, I just kind of write a little quick couple minute blurb about some research that I'm reading that's interesting. If you want to get that in your inbox this week, um, click the show notes. It'll take you to a sign up to do that. That'd be, that'd be great. And if you want to help support the show, if you like, comment, subscribe, or share with a friend, or leave a five-star rating, that'd be super, super helpful. So once again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Now get off your device, have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that the science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.